The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, 6 at night in Beijing, China. And here is your top five at five, a virtual face-to-face. President Biden and China Xi Jinping gearing up for their first one-on-one since Biden took office. Will the video call help ease tensions that are growing between the nations? We'll lay out what is expected to be discussed. Also in D.C., the president expected to sign the roads and bridges infrastructure bill today. We will hit the stocks of the move and which ones you may still want to own. Call it a watered-down deal in Glasgow. While many view the U.N. Climate Summit deal as a failure. Bitcoin rolling out its biggest platform upgrade in four years. Mark Yusko is here with what that means. And forget $80 oil or $100 oil. The random but interesting bet one trader is making on prices moving so high just might make your head spin. It is Monday, November 15th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Monday morning. We have got a lot to do on this busy day, but let us start right now in Washington, because today is an important day in the United States-China relationship. As President Biden getting set to hold a video call tonight with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, Kayla Taoshi joining us now with more on what we can expect from this big virtual summit. Kayla. Well, Brian, we have learned uh, from a senior administration official at the White House that the virtual meeting, that video conference between the two presidents, will last several hours this evening. The two will speak through interpreters, and a list of attendees from each of the country's governments is still forthcoming. As for what could be uh, delivered from this conversation, well, the White House at least doesn't expect there will be any tangible deliverables, and says simply that the purpose of the conversation, which they say President Biden initiated, is to manage the relationship responsibly between the two countries and to erect what they're calling guardrails on issues of importance. But what those issues of importance are is unclear, and what those exact guardrails, to use the White House's term, around those issues uh, are also unclear. The topics that President Biden is expected to raise some concerns about China's threats to rules-based international order uh, are pretty long, though. Uh, President Biden will raise concerns about China's economic practices and subsidies to state-owned enterprises, its human rights issues, uh, coercive measures with regard to Taiwan, and areas of strategic risk in cyberspace. The White House does not expect that the U.S. side of the conversation will raise supply chains or tariffs. And as for whether Beijing may raise the Olympics or the nuclear submarine deal with Australia, they had no specific predictions about what President Xi might be able to raise. Now, they do note that the two countries are in a fundamentally different place than in the past and that the U.S. is seeking a steady state of affairs. Uh, but we will see, Brian, exactly what comes out of this conversation and whether China is seeking any deliverables, even if the U.S. isn't. 
Brian? Yeah, there's so much to discuss. I'm not even sure a few hours will be enough. Kayla, what time does it kick off? What time do you think we're going to start to get some sort of headlines or, or leaks about how it's going? Um, well, it is expected to start in the 7 o'clock hour this evening, Brian, according to officials with knowledge of the planning. Um, and really, we're going to expect to see um, some uh, some sort of pool spray off the top, that is to say, like some images or some uh, some uh, some snapshot of the video between the two leaders. Uh, it could run late, as many of these events do, uh, but one signal is going to be the length here. Because the White House has telegraphed that it is going to be several hours in length, anything shorter than that might signal that the conversation ended abruptly. Uh, so we will wait to see overnight uh, exactly when uh, that conversation ended, how long it lasted, and, and how fulsome the readout is that we get and what else we can gather from our sources. Yeah, and you wonder how much the issue of Taiwan or Chinese Taipei, as they would call it, is, is going to be brought up. Certainly an important topic. Kayla, I know you've got a very long day. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Kayla Taushi, thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to get more on that news, of course, all day long. You're welcome. But right now, let's get a check on your Monday money. And it looks like it could be a good start to the week. Futures, they are higher across the board. Dow, S&P, NASDAQ. They're all up. Dow futures up just under 100. Now, it's been a really strong run for stocks as of late. A NASDAQ 100, it's up 7% in the past month, one of its best runs in decades. Small caps, they're up about the same as well. It might all be because bond yields remain low. A 10-year yield, still just a tick over 1.5%. Let's also take a look at gold. Yes, gold. Remember gold? Well, gold is actually looking like it's starting to move a little bit, maybe on the inflation data. Gold kind of sneakily quiet, trading at six-month highs, and so is cryptos. Cryptos also moving up in a big way lately. Bitcoin right now just under 67,000. Ethereum at 4,700 and change. By the way, Ether is up 22.22 in just 30 days. It is the best performing of any asset plastic, you know, any crypto, any major stock index, any commodity. Ethereum being up 22% is the best mover in the last month. Well, around the world, it was a mixed picture overnight in Asia that had the Shanghai Composite in lower. That despite Chinese retail sales for October, topping estimates coming in very strong. And Europe, they are just getting their trading day started as well. Kind of like our markets here, more green than red on the screen. They are generally higher, but, but not by much. You can see that. And we're seeing the FTSE 100 down very, very fractionally. All right, let's get now some of this morning's top corporate stories, including a big win for Airbus and a big sale of a certain well-known Washington, D.C. hotel. Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yep, here we are. So President Biden named former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu to supervise the more than $1 trillion infrastructure bill, which Biden will sign into law today. According to the White House, Biden chose Landrew, who is also a former Louisiana lieutenant governor, because of his relationships with state and municipal leaders around the country. Landrew will be helping to supervise and coordinate the infrastructure bill by working through the National Economic Council. Airbus shares popping on overseas trading after receiving an order for 255 new aircraft from U.S. private equity group Indigo Partners, which owns stakes in airlines including Frontier, Wizz Air, Valeris and JetSmart. No value on the deal just yet, but this is Airbus's first significant sale since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
and former President Donald Trump's family hotel company reportedly reaching a deal to sell the rights to its Washington, D.C. hotel for $375 million to Miami-based investment firm CGI Merchant Group. According to The Wall Street Journal, CGI intends to remove the Trump name and has also reached a deal with Hilton Worldwide to have the property branded and managed by Hilton's Waldorf Astoria Group. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah, now thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. Sounds All right. Good. Now to your markets and money and perhaps the answer to two big questions in facing investors right now. Number one, how long will this crushing inflation last? And number two, why aren't bonds or stocks for that matter responding to the numbers? Let's talk about both with Stephen Whiting. He is chief investment strategist at City Global Wealth. Always a pleasure to have you on, Stephen. Uh, let's go through it. Answer the first. I mean, uh, good morning. What does transitory mean to you? Every commodity we talk about is higher now than it was a few months ago. How long do you and your team see inflation rising? Well, commodities, again, are going to have a supply response in the coming year. You know, tell me a year in which we don't see the oil price rise sharply and production doesn't follow. So I think from the perspective of headline inflation, I'm less worried about the coming 12 months. If you just take a look at futures prices, they're about 15% lower at 12-month delivery than they are now. Even if that doesn't happen, we're going to lose a big spur to headline inflation. Now, clearly, central banks taking a different approach to inflation compared to the last 40 years, running labor markets tight, having core services prices rise more than 3% is an underlying inflation trend that's higher but we still think that we've seen a lot of distortions in the economy. Just take a look back at what fiscal stimulus was at the beginning of 2021. It annualized 13% of U.S. GDP. Yeah. Are those payments happening again? They're not. So that spur for inflation seems to be temporary. I think next year you'll have 3% headline inflation out of the U.S. That's unbelievable, Steve. I mean, so what does that mean? What happened? If you're right... What happens? What happens to bond yields? What happens to equities? What happens to gold and cryptos? Well, if we're wrong, <laughs> it would be a bigger problem. If you take a look at what's happened to the bond market, the bond market has uh, been pricing in 10-year inflation just above 2.5%. Now, that's a lot higher than, let's say, the 1.8% uh, that we had in the 10 years after the global financial crisis. But markets are generally taking the view that this is a distorted economy that supply and demand have changed too fast for producers to keep pace with. But that's not a long-term demand problem, right? So if instead, for some reason, we just have much more demand than the economy can supply, well, then we're going to have a more lasting inflation than, uh, you know, we're talking about the next six months still being relatively high. When I mentioned next year, I thought about year average CPI, yeah. which gets Again, a lack of follow through from some of these temporary factors. So it'd be a bigger problem for markets, not necessarily. Well, I would tell you this. The composition of the equity market would be quite different. The bond market, which has a global yield of one percent, makes us look rich. So I'm not sure the bond market is really going to compensate you for a great deal of inflation. No, and they're not. In fact, bond yields are down from where they were a few months ago when we weren't even talking about inflation. That's what's remarkable. How long right. does how long are we going to be? Are we going to be low forever, or at least for years, Stephen, on, on government bonds? We look at this environment as quite similar to the aftermath of World War II. 
100% GDP, uh, debt to GDP ratio for government bonds at the, the peak, the end of World War II. 30 years later, it was 25% of GDP. Inflation, low rates, the purposely keeping rates low for a long period of time helped with debt burdens. I don't think we have to accept double-digit inflation and a bunch of recessions to end it, but it was a long-term process. And certainly what's happening across the world, where yields have stayed even lower than the U.S., you can see that we've tapered, right? And take a look at what the dollar has done. It's gone up. There's some confidence that if we're not yeah. handling inflation very well, we're handling it a little bit better, perhaps, uh, than the outlook for other developed market, market uh, economies. I guess if you want to find one upside, it's we're what do they call it? The, the best house in a bad neighborhood or any kind of uh, analogy you want to say. Stephen Whitey of City Private Wealth, always a pleasure to get your views. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Inflation's a major story, Stephen. Thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we come back, President Biden set to sign his landmark infrastructure bill into law. But one analyst was way out in front of this trade, and she is here with the names she still loves now. That's one of the stocks, your mystery chart. Plus, breaking down the big Bitcoin upgrade. Crypto bull Mark Yusko is here with some news of his own. But first, world leaders in Glasgow reaching a climate deal at the 11th hour. But many say that deal may be a cop out. CNBC's Steve Sedgwick has more. Steve. Yeah, Brian, was it truly historic, as Boris Johnson called it, or was it all just blah, 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 as Greta Thunberg said of the COP26? Did it put the meat on the bones of the Paris Accord? We'll discuss on Worldwide Exchange when we return. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back and good Monday morning. Well, as the animation says, let's talk about the climate summit, because after two weeks of talks, world leaders finally striking a deal. But it's a deal not without some major last-minute concessions and compromises many are saying is a huge disappointment. But what did they get done? Steve Sedgwick joining us now from Glasgow, Scotland. Steve. Hey, Brian, yeah, I think I'm the last delegate left in uh, Scotland for this as well. And it's actually a beautiful day here in Glasgow. Look, I think a lot was achieved. I think it depends really how you see the success of this climate summit in terms of what your expectations were coming into it. If you look at the final communique, the thing that everyone's moaning about and getting really upset about is the fact that the phraseology in the final communique went from uh, phasing out of coal to phasing down of coal. Well, I'll, I'll challenge our viewers here. How many of you in our lifetime have used the words phasing down? So I'm not entirely sure what that 
that means, what the tautology and significance is of that. Because as the UNFCCC um, Secretary General uh, Patricia Espinosa said as well, the fact of the matter is we've mentioned coal uh, as indeed and, and its, its future being in jeopardy for the first time ever in a communique. So I think that's very important. There were lots of measures on reforestation, uh, on electric vehicles, on methane reduction, on financing, on actually the mechanisms for bringing about carbon trading as well. So I think there were lots of foundations put in place for future events that meant actually this wasn't a failure this event. Was it an unmitigated success? Absolutely not. When you look at the, the people tracking what our carbon commitments look like compared to what they want, i.e. let's not see 1.5 degrees or above that, above pre-industrial carbon emission levels and, and climate, the fact of the matter is we're on for a much hotter world uh, at the moment given current pledges. But the fact that they've agreed to come back next year, uh, and I bet I don't get this one, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt for COP27 and revisit their aspirations for 2030, that's a major step going forward because prior to that, these so-called NDCs, these nationally determined contributions, they were only going to be changed or ratcheted up every five years. So I think that's pretty significant, but it's the money that the private sector is bringing to the table, Brian, that I think is very significant. And it's not them waiting for the sovereign states, waiting for the likes of Xi and Biden and others to come up with the goods. I think the money has decided that it's now time to look at this transition and start financing it regardless. Oh, there's a lot of money. I'm going to get to that in a second. I mean, going back to that coal deal that we're, you know, phasing down, Steve. Here's how I described it to somebody yesterday. And tell me if you think this is right or just American cynicism. It's kind of like somebody saying to their friend, man, you got to quit smoking. Okay. You going to quit? Yeah. When? Later. You sure? I promise. Okay. And then he keeps smoking. I mean, is that is that too cynical? Um, yes, it is. But the only thing is that smoker that you're talking about there is actually cutting down from 20 a day uh, to 15 a day to 10 a day. Look at the United States. Look at your home patch as well. Look what President uh, Trump said he was going to do to reinvigorate the coal sector on his administration. And look what Biden said. And actually, regardless of what the difference is between Trump and Biden administrations, the amount of coal usage in power generation in the United States has carried on diminishing. So that smoker, I think, regardless, is cutting back on their nicotine habit. And it's the same in uh, India as well. Yes, Modi did not want to have phase out in the, uh, yeah. in, the, in the final communique. But the fact is the Indians have promised to cut down aggressively to boost their renewables to 50% by 2030. I think that smoker is cutting back. It's just the speed of which he or she is cutting yeah. back on their 20 a day. Yeah, fair enough, except their cousins in China are smoking more, at least for the moment. Talk about the money. How does it impact investors, Steve? All right. I think there are two or three things here we really need to see. Not a lot of people talked about this bit, and it's a bit kind of in the weeds. But Article 6, this is the bit where the financial community, investors, have been crying out saying, if you give us a price on carbon that we can trust, where there's no, some, no dodgy accounting rules or double accounting, then we can motivate the money. So the, the, what they've done is they've put in, ba in, in, in effect the start of the regulations for carbon trading. Now, add that to the fact that Mark Carney, former governor of the Bank of Canada, and indeed Bank of England, have said, look, we're putting together an alliance, another one of these dodgy acronyms, GFANS, the Glasgow, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. If you can get that kind of oh. money, which I'm talking about trillions, Brian, not billions, get that money motivated towards the transition because they know the rules and regulations underlying it, that gets very exciting on the finance yeah. front, and then you can get real pri private sector involvement rather than waiting on governments to move. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's sort of the, the part of the real green transition, green meaning US dollars. Steve, 
Do not go anywhere, my friend. And I wouldn't do this to you because I know you can roll with it. I'm going to throw you under the electric bus. I, I want to ask you about some breaking news we had this morning, which I, which I know you know well. I'm going to give you the headlines, and I want you to respond. Royal Dutch Shell is making a massive move. Right now, Royal Dutch Shell has two classes of shares, one in the Netherlands, one in the U.K. Of course, they do have a U.S. stock as well. Royal Dutch Shell announcing, or at least reportedly, changing their share structure. They are leaving the Netherlands. They will have one share structure. It will be in the U.K. They will have one headquarters. That will be in the U.K., Steve. They will be uh, based only in the U.K. This is a company that has been in the Netherlands since its founding in 1890 in its original form, and they are dropping Royal Dutch from the name. Now, we know they have been under attack from a climate perspective. Their board, their company in the Netherlands. You guys are getting now the full headquarters of Shell, as we will just call it. Uh, What do you make of this move? Do you think part of this move is the incredible pressure that they have been under in the Netherlands, forcing the the CEO, Ben Van Burden, and the board to make some hard calls? They're they're basically dissolving a 131-year-old company out of where it was founded. Yep. Uh, Brian, you haven't thrown me under the electric bus at all. I I love this story. I haven't been covering it personally for once, but I know Ben Van Burden very well. I've known the man since he took over at Shell a few years ago as well. And and this is a man who's stuck in the middle of of, of two trends. One, the new kind of activists who want to see Shell give up its hydrocarbons, its oil and gas, or gas and oil, because they do more gas than oil these days, and that's natural gas, uh, and want them to become greener. They want them to transform quicker. And then you've got the traditional activists, the ones that our viewers know very well, who just want the money, who just want the returns from hydrocarbons because they are throwing off money at the moment in oil and gas because of the high elevated price as well. They don't want that money to go towards the green transition. They want the company to split up into two separate areas where they think actually this, the sum of the parts will not yeah. equal the valuations of the individual. So Ben Van Burden is stuck in the middle of the activists who just want the money and the activists who want to see a more aggressive transition. What he's trying to do by simplifying the company is make it more efficient and make it more transparent and make, make it easier for shareholders. They don't have to look at Royal Dutch A or Royal Dutch B. They can just see Shell shares listed on the LSE. And that will be one small part of answering a lot of those critics who say this is a complicated company. It's got too many irons in the fires. Yeah. We want to see a simpler company as well. It won't end the debate, though, about those two kind of activists that Ben Van Burden, he's stuck in the middle of. Yeah, well, they're not doing it in the Netherlands. I think that's the point. The name of the company is Royal Dutch Shell, and they are leaving the Dutch part. And congratulations, I guess, to the UK They will be the full headquarters and share listing of Shell. Steve Sedgwick, knew you could roll with him, my friend. Good seeing you last week. Talk to you soon. Take care. Imagine if, like, Apple moved to Canada or something. I mean, it's not quite that, but this is the biggest and most important company in the Netherlands. Anyway, on deck, why Apple is taking a page out of Netflix's streaming playbook. Your big money movers straight ahead. Stick around. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently 
at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. All right, welcome back. Good Monday morning. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Stock number one is Dollar Tree. Hedge fund Mantle Ridge reportedly taking a $1.8 billion stake in the retailer. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, Mantle Ridge wants to use that stake to force change at Dollar Tree, including replacing some of the board. Stock two, Heineken. It is buying Distel Group in a deal that values the South African drink maker at about $2.5 billion. And stock three, little old company named Apple, taking a page out of Netflix's hit show Squid Game, maybe. They're rolling out their first Korean-language original series. It is based on a Korean webcomic of the same name called Dr. Brain, or as I like to call it, Dr. Brian. It's a six-episode sci-fi thriller about a cold-hearted neurologist who tries to find clues to a mysterious family accident. Dr. Brain coming to Apple soon. All right, straight ahead. It is not just Bitcoin that is red hot lately. John Najarian is up later on to break down some of the wild moves in other crypto assets, NFTs, and really anything will ask it. We'll talk about that. Crypto of Mark Yusko, infrastructure with Catherine Thompson, all as Dow and S&P futures. They are higher on a Monday morning. We will be right back after this short break. Sealed, delivered, and soon to be signed, President Biden set to formally approve the $1 trillion infrastructure bill. And Catherine Thompson is here laying out how you can invest around all that money going to be pumped into roads, bridges, and more. A big weekend for Bitcoin as the crypto undergoes its largest upgrade in years, but how much higher can it really go? Mark Yusko is here, and he's at it again. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, going after Bernie Sanders and on taxes. We'll tell you what he said and how it's playing out on this Monday, November 15th, right here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. 531 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us on CNBC. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, they are higher across the board. I mean, what's new lately? The market's up like, what, 20 of the past 23 sessions or something like that. Dow futures up 100. NASDAQ futures up 35 as well. So not huge gains, but we are in the green at least right now nonetheless. Well, right now, you're probably having a cup of coffee for four, like me. And if you are a coffee lover, get ready to pay more, maybe a lot more, because the price of coffee beans, it has soared recently. It's now at a seven-year high, a big drought in Brazil. The primary reason, supply chain woes aren't helping either. Look at that. I mean, it is at a seven-year high. Some of coffee, if you invested in coffee a few months ago, you've made a lot of money. This also means higher input costs for companies like Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, and other coffee makers. So watch for either price increases there or margin compression for them or maybe some kind of a combination of both. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories, including the latest in the legal battle over the White House's employer vaccine mandate. Savannah now is back with the details on that and more. Silvana. Hey, Brian. Yes. Yeah, so the federal appeals court that ordered a pause in the Biden administration's mandate is standing by its recent decision. 
In an opinion issued late Friday, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit reaffirmed its move, calling the mandate fatally flawed and too broad. The court added that the requirements likely exceed the authority of the federal government and raise serious constitutional concerns. While it has not yet ruled on the matter, the panel suggested that the lawsuits seeking to overturn the mandate would likely succeed based on their merits. States and their taxpayers will apparently be on the hook for part of the bill for Apple's rollout of digital ID cards. According to documents reviewed by CNBC, the tech giant will require states to maintain the systems needed to issue and service the IDs, as well as provide customer support. Apple announced in June that its users could soon store state-issued identification cards in the iPhone's wallet app. And Elon Musk sparing with Senator Bernie Sanders on the hot-button issue of the wealthy paying more in taxes. The senator tweeting on Saturday, we must demand that the extremely wealthy pay their fair share, period. That tweet coming amid Democrats' push to tax billionaires' stocks and other tradable assets to help pay for President Biden's social spending agenda. That apparently didn't sit well with the Tesla CEO who tweeted, I keep forgetting that you're still alive. Before adding, want me to sell more stock, Bernie? Just say the word. Musk's response comes after he unloaded another $1.2 billion worth of Tesla stock on Friday, bringing last week's total stock sale to just under $7 billion. And overnight, investor Michael Burry chimed in, tweeting that Musk is making these stock sales not because he needs cash, but that he just wants to sell his Tesla stock. Brian, back to you. And for those who can't remember or don't remember or whatever, Michael Burry is, of course, the lead guy played by Christian Bale in The Big Short. But it's actually a real guy who made a lot of money betting against Subprime. He is outspoken and is used kind of a nasty tweet, Solana, by Elon Musk. Right? I think going after somebody's policies, but I forget you're still alive. That's That's, a little That was a little little much. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. A little, little harsh. Let's be nice. Yes. Savannah now. thank you very much. <laughs> you got it, Brian. All right. President Biden will put pen to paper today, signing the $1 trillion infrastructure bill into law in a ceremony at 3 p.m. Eastern. Now, the bill promises to reach nearly every part of the country with money for roads and bridges and ports, public transit, safe water, more power grids and more. Now, infrastructure related stocks, they have soared lately in anticipation this deal would get passed by Congress The Global X Infrastructure ETF, or PAVE, is up 36%, but there have been some stocks that have done a lot better. Let us talk more now about this with Catherine Thompson, CEO of the Thompson Research Group. And Catherine, I remember you and I, like, what was it, eight years ago in the, what was it, the Rayburn office building in Washington, D.C., in that closed-door congressional sort of panel slash hearing talking about the with with uh, DeFazio of Oregon talking about the need for infrastructure. And finally, we are here. Are you just going to take like a six month vacation or what? You know, in my, <laughs> it, I, I think as we wrote recently, and in fact, I think I've said in a previous segment, it's a little bit like Bigfoot. Like it's talked about a lot, but it but but it actually happened this time. And it, it took uh, the Senate and the House and every politician on its side to syncretize their ideas to to actually get something going. Um, we could debate all about what it took to get there, but the reality is we have it now. And by this time, our viewers know you as sort of the infrastructure guru. And I'm going to show some things about why we say that as well. It's not just my opinion. The numbers match up, Catherine. You were on with us you know, earlier this year. You were on with us last year and the year before. 
And you were on recommending names that people ignored back then. Summit Materials, Vulcan Materials, Martin Marietta, boring old asphalt companies or equipment rental or, you know, use companies. I want to show our viewers some of the stock returns since that time. Summit Materials up 130% in a year, 14% since you were on recently, 47% jump for Vulcan. You know, you got WSC up 85%. Huge moves. Congrats to you and your clients on that. Um, Do you see much more left in the proverbial tank, though? Yeah, so if you step back in, I think, the the biggest bucket, the $110 billion going to roads and bridges, that's the, the largest portion of the $150 billion. That represents, those dollars represent a 50% increase over the previous multi-year highway bill, which was called the FAST Act. Now, the FAST Act expired at the end of September. And so we talked to state um, departments of transportation all the time. Um, And what they tell us is this gives us visibility. And when state departments of transportation have visibility, that means they're building, they're planning out three, five, six-year type construction projects. So what it means is there are going to be certain companies that are going to typically may have had, I don't know, 12 months visibility are now going to have multi-year visibility. Um, some of those can be uh, some of the names that you mentioned, like uh, Summit Materials, Vulcan, uh, and Martin. Summit uh, is in more secondary cities. Uh, and so that could be, you know, we think they could be a bigger beneficiary just on a percentage basis in terms of catching up on what's not priced in the stock. But Vulcan and Martin are going to be right down the fairway uh, and, and benefiting overall. Another one on water infrastructure, Core in Maine is a company that went public uh, this past summer. Um, it's done quite well. It's up almost 50% since it went public. They specialize in water infrastructure distribution. That's what they do all day long. So they're going to be a direct beneficiary. And one that um, you and I talked about before, it's, it's also one of um, on our best idea series is uh, a little company. Well, it's not so little anymore, but it's a company called Will Scott Mobile Mini, um, ticker symbol WSC. Yep. And they're on every construction site you can imagine. And so not only are they going to benefit from uh, infrastructures, uh, from the airport to roads to water, they're kind of they're going to be where anything is being built, and it's it, it's a little bit more of a REIT like type name, um, and with a, a incredibly sticky pricing power, and they're going to be around for a long time. Yeah, they might have to drop many from their name because the the market cap has soared in the last couple of months. I remember you brought this name to us. I'm getting old. I think it was back in June or July-ish. And I was like, who's Mobile Mini? I was thinking about Mini Me from Austin Powers. Didn't go well. This is, you know, they, they have those rental units. Now I'm driving by every construction site in England last week. And, and you're seeing these things. and go, oh, okay, that's, that's what they do. Here's my question about the Summit and the Vulcans of the world, Catherine. Is there going to be enough rocks and asphalt? I mean, is there going to be enough of this stuff? We're buying everything. I'm glad that bill got passed from an infrastructure perspective, but all these companies are going to have to buy everything at the peak of yeah. pricing. Yeah, you know, the, the, the trickier part is going to be cement. So cement is actually manufactured, and it's like making a cake. You mix cement in with water and everything that ends up um, making concrete. Cement's actually going to be um, an, an area where you can see uh, tire availability. Um, Martin Marietta currently is a cement producer. They have facilities in Texas and California. Um, Vulcan and Summit don't make cement. 
um, and they're a little bit more asphalt focused and, and rock focused. But Martin has a similar mix as Vulcan, but they also have these cement plants. So that's going to that's going to be an advantage to them in terms of availability of just cement. Um, with rock, really, the key thing is, and this is going to get a little bit nerdy on the on the rock side, is when it gets into the peak yep. construction season in the summer. So there's a very particular type of rocks used for particular type of projects. And so that's what's going to make it um, a little bit tighter for those guys. I remember in college taking geology, somebody called it rocks for jocks. And now I'm just thinking, you know what, I should have taken geology because anybody who knows anything about rocks and building materials is probably going to get rich. Catherine Thompson, maybe some investors getting rich off your picks. They've all done great. Thanks for joining us. Infrastructure Week is finally here. By the way, that meeting was even free the other guy. Literally in the Congress like a decade ago. Catherine, thank you. Appreciate that. Ah, Thank you. The days a decade ago. All right, anyway. All right, cheers. All right, coming up Bitcoin rolling out a major upgrade. Morgan Street Capital's Mark Yusko laying out whether the changes could add fresh fuel to the crypto's record run. Mark is back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. Good Monday morning. It's 545 on a Monday. Well, Bitcoin is rolling out its biggest upgrade in four years. It's called Taproot. And the upgrade, which has fairly universal support in the crypto community, accomplishes two major things. First, it's a makeover to digital signatures on the blockchain, Taproot adding a new layer of privacy. Second, it makes a feature called smart contracts cheaper and smaller in terms of the space they might take up on that blockchain and the ledger. Smart contracts are self-executing agreements that some would call a game changer because they cut out all the middlemen. Joining us now is Morgan Creek Capital Management founder and CEO Mark Yusko. Mark, uh, I tried to explain it as, as well as I could. This is a complicated topic for people that are not familiar with blockchain or the ledger or whatever it might be. In the simplest Mark Yusko way that you do so well, why does Taproot matter? Well, Brian, I, I really can't really improve on on how you just summarized it. That that was spectacular. But in the simplest form, it's a software upgrade. We're all familiar with software upgrades. And uh, the nice thing about Bitcoin and the network in particular is it doesn't upgrade very often. It's not like every couple months you got to hit your phone to make it upgrade. Uh, it's it's a very logical, rational process of of adding features. And there's a thing in software, right? You can either be fast or secure. And Bitcoin is the most secure computing network the history of the world. It's, nothing's ever been more secure, but it's not the most fast. And, and therefore it needs some additional uh, utility uh, on top. So they're adding this, this taproot feature to, as you said, allow for the use of smart contracts uh, make it a little more efficient, um, not trying to be the fastest network, but continuing to be the most secure and the best store of value long term. OK, and then why does it make it, um, I don't want to say more investable, but why should it make Bitcoin more more attractive for any skeptics that may still be out there, Mark? Yeah, again, really important question. So, you know, being skeptical about new technology is is normal, rational. Um Maybe not doing the work to understand that new technology, maybe a little you know, intellectually lazy. Uh, once you do the work and once you see the power of this network, it's really tough not to get excited about it. You and I have been talking about this now for years. 
Uh, you know, you sound like a, an expert when you when you're talking. I'm so I'm so happy. Um, and I think the thing about this particular upgrade is it's moving Bitcoin as just a, a base layer ledger, right? Just a, a complete you know storing of digital transactions in perpetuity to enabling developers to build new functionality on top using smart contracts. Uh, so the whole world of decentralized yeah. finance. And as you said, uh, middlemen and middlewomen and middle people have had a really good run for about 800 years since the Medici's took us from single entry accounting to dual entry accounting. Now we have a three dimensional ledger, a ledger that is run in software code. And, and just think about getting lost, right? You don't stop and ask for directions anymore. You look at your smartphone and you you trust code. And in the same way, uh, trusting humans as, as middle people in financial transactions is very inefficient. It's very costly. It's, it's actually quite dangerous, as we've seen many, many times uh, some nefarious yeah. things go on. So this is a, a really big upgrade, and I think it's going to increase the usability. And by the way, thanks for the comments. I, I just got to say, I got a lot of smart people on, on the Worldwide Exchange team and others that have been helping me along and, and helping our viewers as well. It's a true team effort. They're the smart ones. I just say words. Uh, so shout out to them. Any other cryptos, Mark? There's like 700 of them now. You own any of the dogs, the Shiba Inus, the Sheena Eastons, whatever they are? Do you own any of the other ones or are you just Bitcoin? Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't like the dogs, as you and I have discussed. Uh, I think they're everything that's wrong with markets today. Uh, I, I really do like Ethereum. I really like Solana. Uh, and there are a number of other crypto that, that are going to be great long term. But, but stick with the, the big ones. Stick with the ones that are actually adding value and creating uh, a robust ecosystem yeah. for the future of finance. Mark Yusko, really appreciate your views as well. Thank you, Mark. Have a great day. Look forward to chat with you again soon. Thanks, Brian. See you soon. By the way, just got to say thank you. On the Friday after Thanksgiving last year, Mark was on talking Bitcoin. It was at like 18,000. Now it's at 67. If you listen to him, you're up like 300%. Shout out to Mark on that call just about a year ago. All right. As we had to break, let's get a check on a potential media deal. England's Premier League reportedly close to a record sale of its U.S. TV rights. That according to the Financial Times. Viacom, CBS, and ESPN, among those vying for the rights, along with our own parent company, Comcast, which acquired the rights in 2015 for around a billion dollars. You can watch a lot of Premier League on NBC and NBC Sports. The FT says second-round bids are due by Thursday. That's going to be a big one. Go Tottenham. We're back right after this. Well, today's most random and interesting thing is about a bet on oil, a bet on oil going higher in the next year. So what you say? A lot of people think it's going to go higher, but how much higher? How about tripling from here or maybe more? Bloomberg reports there are some options activity that is happening now that would profit if Brent crude, the kind they trade overseas, goes to $250 or $300 a barrel. That's right, more than $250 for a barrel of oil. There were options and call spread contracts that represented about 5 million barrels. That's, to be fair, not a lot of oil, but it got traded at those prices. And about 8 million barrels of U.S. traded crude at a call spread of $200 and $215 per barrel. Wow, those are undoubtedly super bullish bets on the price of crude. Now, keep in mind, they are relatively small bets, and they could just be some 
outlier trades made by a trader who's got more money than sense or whatever. But they are bets. Nonetheless, about $800,000 they cost to put those bets on. Bets on levels that oil has never been at before, even at the crazy 2008 highs. So there have been a lot of increasing trades at $100 plus per barrel. And more analyst calls to hit that level or more. Bank of America recently called for $120 Brent crude. But we have never seen anything like this. Basically, million-dollar bets for oil to hit more than 200 a barrel. Hello, 7 or $8 per gallon gasoline? I wouldn't bet on it, but some people are. Random, but interesting. All right, let's stick now with the options action. Wait, that's a show on Fridays at 5.30. Specifically, though, around crypto and bringing John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor. I'm going to ask you about crypto and bored apes. John, people betting on $250 oil? What do you make of that? Some, somebody got drunk and threw some trades on? Well, if it was just ten or $20,000, i would say, yeah, that could be, Brian, even though that's still a lot of money. But $850,000? That sounds like somebody that's a little more serious. Um, I don't think we get there, but uh, you know, any pop in crude would send those contracts probably double, maybe even triple that initial bet. So would you put eight hundred thousand dollars down to make two point four million? I bet you would. <laughs> I think that's what it is, Bry. If I, yeah, if I if I had it, but no, these are big bets and, and, and amazingly <laughs> bullish. All right. Uh, by the way, that trader, if that pays off, they'll have enough money to buy Bored Ape NFTs. Uh, they can increase their trading activity on OpenSea. Talk to us about OpenSea, NFTs, Silvergate Capital. We just talked to Mark about Bitcoin, but man, there's a lot of other stuff happening. Yeah, Mark Yusko is a really smart dude on crypto or digital assets. And even though he was mainly sounding like a maximalist or at least Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, Ethereum is really where a lot of the juice comes from with these uh, NFTs, uh, Brian. And so that bored apes uh, uh, thing that's really captured uh, the fancy of at least the people that are trading NFTs, those non-fungible tokens, that trading has just exploded. And to see a 900% surge in volume um, for that tells you that uh, you know, it's it's the march of the ants. It's millions of people that are now focused in on these uh, NFTs. And the fact that they like these sort of psychedelic co colored board apes and so forth, um, I guess, just continues to drive gas fees up. That's a usage fee, more or less, yeah. for Ethereum and so forth. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. Quickly, talk to us about Riot. It is soaring. It's been a riot. Sure. And a good, I guess a good riot if there is such a thing. Yeah, Riot Blockchain and uh, Marathon, M-A-R-A, both of them, getting huge bets. Uh, not as big as that oil bet that you just described, but in the case of Riot, they're buying the calls that were on Friday's close, yep. at least the close uh, on the exchanges of $50.00. For those, they're also buying the 60 strike in Mara, and both of those in the pre-Brian, based on the bounce, are moving higher. I love it. John and Jerry laying out all the other stuff that is happening. John, we appreciate you getting up really early. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, thank for tuning you. in to Worldwide Exchange. By the way, I'll see you on the halftime report at noon today. I'm in for Scott. More coffee, please. That's at noon, though. Squawk Box is up next. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.